0: Hello, everybody. I'm really happy you're here. I love, you know what, I love the weekend. And it's kind of because we get to have church. That's great. So welcome. If you're watching online, if this is the first time you've been to church for a long time, thanks for having the courage to be here. We are starting a new series. We're calling it Caged. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at characters from the first two-thirds of the Bible, known as the Old Testament, who found themselves overwhelmed by something bigger than they were, incapacitated. So we'll look at people like the prophet Elijah, and he's going to suffer from significant depression and despondency that just overcomes him. We're going to look at Samson next week. And Samson is overcome by an addictive cycle that he can't break free from. Today, I'd like us to look at a story from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's the story of, even if, listen, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you're going to at least know the two main characters in this one. It's the story of David and Goliath. Okay. David and Goliath. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And what we're going to look at is the fear that is keeping an entire group of people hostage. They cannot get free from this fear until this little guy named David shows up and everything changes. So does anybody in the room have, you know it, but it's an irrational fear. You have an irrational fear of something. All right, quite a few, yes. Um, so when, as a kid, I grew up in Colorado, and I had this ongoing uh, dream and fear, and it was always of the ocean. Now here's the deal, I'd never seen the ocean. But in this dream, there would always be this diver who looked like he came out of a Jules Verne movie, the big metal you know, helmet, and he'd come out of the ocean and he would chase me, and I would run and run and run. I remember going to the ocean and thinking, it's not even scary, like, what's the deal? I also have another Irrational fear, and um, it's of snakes. Is anybody else scared of snakes? Oh man, I, like it's terrible how scared of snakes I am. This past summer, I was working in our backyard, and we live up against the rims, and so I'm, all, you know, I'm sure one day I'll see a, a rattlesnake. And I am, I'm working in this flower bed in the back, And all I do is I just see movement, and I, in one motion, I take my shovel, I jump, scream, and throw my shovel like a javelin, (laughs) Ah! and I go back, and there's a gardener snake who was maybe eight inches long, who's now four inches on either side. There's two gardener snakes wiggling, and I'm like, Oh, my goodness, like, I couldn't breathe. I was like, <laughs> just overwhelmed by fear. So some of my friends know this little thing I have with snakes. Uh, a few years ago, we were fishing down on the Bighorn. I had some guys from out of town, and we were in two boats. And they uh, finished the day at the, in the front, and we came in behind. And my two buddies, these guys were from, um, they're from California. So when you take guys from California on a river in Montana, they do just all kinds of things. And you just you roll by, and you're like, I'm sorry. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. So at the end of the day, um, they go, Nate, you're not going to believe the fish we caught. We caught a 26-inch brown trout. I'm like, really? Did you get a picture? They're like, no. Even better, we put it in the cooler. I'm like, oh, no. Like, you guys have kept it, right? And they're like, yeah, you're going to have to see it. So I went over to my friends from California, and I opened up the lid of the cooler. And this is what they had done. They had caught what seemed to be a 14-foot-long bull snake. And they put it in the cooler. They told me there was a fish in there. And I opened the cooler. And I don't know if you've been around a big bull snake. They hiss to imitate a rattlesnake. And so down there, and this, and and I turn around. And there's this massive dirt parking lot. I've got my waders on, all my equipment. And I am just running. I'm running. And they are filming the whole thing. They knew exactly how I would react. And they're just, as I'm running through the parking lot. It's an irrational fear, but it exists. I wish all of our fears made us laugh, but they don't, do they? There are other fears which they incapacitate us. There are fears of, say, failure. There there are people who never really start in life, never take any risks, Because they're afraid that they might fail. And that fear of failure incapacitates them. There are fears. Some of us have a fear of ever being alone. And because we're driven by this fear, we have compromised in relationships. And it's led to more pain. But it was because we were so afraid of ever being alone. We have fears of inadequacy. There's a little voice in our heads that says you will never measure up. You'll never be good enough. And we're always afraid, and sometimes that drives us to be overachievers. Some of us have fears that we won't be able to take care of things financially because maybe the way we were raised or we we were raised without much, and we are so driven to be in control of everything financially that our vocation actually owns us. I mean, all of those fears and so many more are very real. Now, in the story that we're about to read, I want you to visualize this. There are two armies camped on opposite sides of a large valley. So over on this hillside, there's the army of the Philistines. On this side is the army of the Hebrews. Hebrews. And these guys have perennially been at war. Just about every spring they meet together. They have disputed borders. They're always trying to fight over whose, whose land this is. And so they've gathered together, probably we don't know exact numbers, but thousands if not tens of thousands of soldiers camped on the hillside. And here's the plan. In the big valley in between is where they'll meet for battle. But this year is peculiar. Because this year there's someone, one human being, that is holding up the typical battle. And it's a man named Goliath, who's some sort of genetic monstrosity. He just an enormous human being, some sort of anomaly. He's so big that even the spear, the head of his spear weighs 25 pounds. And he comes out every day, twice a day, and he walks into the plane between and he makes this challenge. He says, I defy you people. I defy your God. I curse you by my gods. And I tell you, just send one man out. You send one man out to do hand-to-hand combat with me. And if I win, you guys surrender. If he wins, we surrender. And everybody hears his booming voice twice a day, and they're paralyzed by fear. 40 successive days. And then along comes David And somehow David sees something different. He hears something different. His reality is different than all of the trained soldiers, all of these men who have been taught to run towards fear. They are captivated by fear right now. Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 10. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who's the king of the Hebrew people, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah, which is a measurement, of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. David is the youngest of eight sons. He's number eight. He stayed at home. His seven brothers are fighting this battle. His seven brothers are captivated by fear. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are are, and bring back some assurance from them. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So every day they're trying to get up the courage. Every day, come on, guys, today, today. Ah! And then out comes Goliath. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, this is David, he goes to the men and he's asking, hey, what's going on here? Why doesn't anybody fight? He burned with anger at David and asked, Why have you come down here, little brother? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David says, Now what have I done? Can't I even speak? Apparently, for thousands of years, little brothers have been saying, What'd do I do this time? <laughs> come on. He he then turned away to someone else and and brought up the same matter. Why isn't anybody fighting Goliath? And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul the king, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, listen, king, I mean, this this is the shepherd boy talking to the king. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, See, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And then when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, well, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fashioned on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, Kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He looked at David. This isn't what he expected. We have all these descriptions of David that he was ruddy and handsome, Um, he played the harp. And he wrote poetry. He was probably like either a renaissance man or a little bit metro. Um, (laughs) He's not exactly the guy you're expecting to send out against a giant. And it just infuriates Goliath. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks, your little staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'm gonna cut off your head. Can't you see his brothers going like, David, shh, don't stop. Like, seriously, don't do this, don't do this. You're going to cut off his head? This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, one of my favorite phrases, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone with a sword without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And that's where we leave off in Sunday school, but now it gets PG-13. You ready? David ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword, and then David takes his head as a little memento of the battle. Ah, I mean, this is like Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff. It's getting weird, right? Ah. So, what is the difference? What is the difference between thousands of trained soldiers and one shepherd boy? Um, the, the story just begs us to say, well, why does the shepherd boy do it? What, what's unique about him? I think David understood a few things that most human beings can't comprehend. Here's just four things. Number one, it's important to realize that giants grow bigger by the day. Giants grow bigger by the day. Every day that I am afraid is a day that fear grows. So fear Usually start small. Start small. But if you give it enough time, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it shows up twice a day, maybe more and it gives me its threats and it tells me who it thinks I should be and it threatens me over and over and over. Fear always gnaws away at faith. What it does is whatever faith I have, fear comes in and it begins to gnaw away at the edges of my faith. These things that maybe I believed about myself, I believed about God, fear is predatory when it comes to faith. It begins to gnaw away at the edges. Vision of the future becomes obscured by fear. So. Maybe on day one, when fear shows up, I can still see hope. I, I, I can still see that we can get by this. But you give it enough time, and that fear just begins to grow and grow and grow. And pretty soon, I've lost vision. I can't even see beyond this thing. This, this, this fear, this giant, obscures my vision of everything. I, I, I don't have hope anymore. Let me give you an example. Oh, something like maybe 15, 16 years ago. Uh, We left a place we had been living for 14 years and moved north of Seattle to lead a church. And I was, just to be frank, I was far too young to be in that role. Um, I I didn't know what I was getting into. We were in desperate financial problems. I didn't find that out until after I said yes. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, I'm 32 years old and I'm laying off 15 people at a time. Um, looking in people's eyes. uh, I'm calling banks saying, can we renegotiate this loan? Because honestly, we can't pay you. It it wasn't long before I found out why the other pastor had left. Like, oh, that's why you left. Because this thing's a mess, right? When I went, I had all the faith in the world. I believe that God is good. I believe that he supplies all of our needs. I believe that he was gonna take care of everything. But I'll tell you what, after three months, three months, this giant, this fear, grew bigger and bigger and bigger, and it began to gnaw away at the edges of my faith, and it obscured my vision of the future. And I remember just standing there, and all I could see was the fear. I didn't have any hope. The first time in my life, I just thought, What do I do? There's no way around this. This thing is so much bigger. The fear grew daily. It was overwhelming. And it would show up every day, and it would tell me who I was and that I wasn't enough and that this church was in a place of catastrophe and there was no help. And it would just confirm everything that the bank had told me on the phone. Some of us know what fear like like that is. It's just grown and it's grown. But here's the deal. What, what, what if you have a fear and you, you've been given that fear 20 or 30 or 40 years? It's become so big. It's not away at the edges of your faith so much that you're caged. You can't get past it. You can't see hope on the other side. Fear Grows bigger by the day. Here's the second thing. Somehow, way, we must see past the fear. See what is beyond the giant. So everybody saw the same thing. Everybody saw this monstrous human being. We don't even know how this is genetically possible. Everybody saw his weaponry. Everybody saw his bulging muscles. Everybody knew the stories of what he'd done to other people in the past. So they all look, and what they see is a giant. And then comes this shepherd boy, his late teens. He sees the same giant, but his perspective is broader. He goes, hmm, that is a large man, very large. But David sees beyond the giant. He says, "I, I see him, I see him. Yeah, he's huge. David has capacity to see God in the midst of the equation. When all anybody else saw was this monstrous human, David goes, I I see him, but I see God. It's about perspective. See, fear is always going to change my perspective. It's going to shrink it down. There's two questions that David is asking. He's asking, one, I've got to remember how big is my God? I've got to decide how big is he? Is he bigger than giants? Is he more powerful than Goliath? And secondly, he's asking, where's the vulnerability in that big old guy? Nobody's asking about vulnerabilities. And when my fear grows, I don't even think it's vulnerable anymore. All I see is something that is invincible. But David, because he saw God, because he said, My God's bigger than that, he goes, And there's got to be a weakness. He can't be invincible. David identifies, you know what? His helmet doesn't cover his whole forehead. I could get a rock in there. Nobody else saw that. Because the giant was too big. He was invincible. The power of fear is broken when I realize the past faithfulness of God. So here's what David sees that nobody else does. He, he He looks at Goliath, but then he looks to his past. He goes, "Hey, you know what? I've got a history with big hairy things." <laughs> One time, I was guarding my dad's sheep and a bear came. And rather than what rather than run from it, I thought, "Hey, yeah, you know what? That little sheep is vulnerable. That's my dad's sheep." And so, I threw a rock at it with my sling and I hit the bear and it knocked him out and I went over and I rescued the sheep and then the bear turned on me and I killed it. He says, what? It's kind of like the lion too. The lion did the same thing. I went and rescued him. Hey, hey, wait a minute. If God delivered me, it wasn't because I'm invincible, it wasn't because I'm such an amazing warrior, but if God delivered me from a bear and a lion, I just bet you he can deliver me from a big hairy guy as well. See, David saw that everything God had been doing in his past was preparation for this moment. Out of the thousands of soldiers camped on the side of the Hebrews, none of them saw what God had done in the past and had, they had no perspective on what God could do in the future. But David says, okay, here's the one thing that's been consistent in my life when I have faced overwhelming odds, when I've been afraid, God delivered me from a bear. God delivered me from a lion. And I'll bet you anything, God will deliver me from a giant as well. Because I've learned that God delivers things from predatory situations. Bears that prey on lambs, lions that prey on sheep, and here's a man who's preying on my people and if there's anybody who can get us through this, it's the Lord. My past experiences with God is preparation for this moment. What will my perspective be? Do I see the giant, or do I see God, and do I see what God's done in the past? Thirdly, rewrite the story. Rewrite the story. Create a different narrative. Here's the narrative. The giant is setting the narrative. What does he do? Eighty times now he's come out and he said, I am invincible. Send me someone. I defy your gods. My gods are superior. I curse you. You're cowards. And thousands of people accepted his reality. The Hebrew soldiers are like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, he's right. He's big. He's invincible. We can't do anything about this. We're, We're at such disadvantage. They try to get their courage. They try to get the war cry going, and the same thing happens, and the story's been told, and everybody believes the story. But here comes David. And David says, oh, he hears the same thing that everybody else heard. He hears, he hears the Goliath lay it down. David goes, actually, I've got an alternative reality for you. You know what, big guy? I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed you and all your buddies up there to the birds. David says, my God, here's a new reality, Goliath. My God delivers. My God has delivered me in the past from lions and bears, and he is going to deliver me from you. And listen, Goliath, you think this is the way you said, you said that it's by your strength, it's by sword, it's by spear that battles are won. But I've got a new reality for you, buddy. These type of battles, they're not won with swords and spears. They're won through the Lord. See, that that same story has come. How many of us have heard this? You're too weak. You're a failure. You'll never live up to your expectations. Why couldn't you be like your dad? Why couldn't you be more like your sister or like your brother? You'll never amount to anything. You see, that voice comes. That's the narrative. And when we accept it, it crushes us. David teaches us in order to get past fear, sometimes you gotta show up to the party and when the same old voice tells you the same old things and leads you to that same place of fear, you go, "Uh uh-uh, excuse me. That's not the story we're going with any longer. That thing that was said about me, what I did in my past, that is not my reality. And I'm here to tell you something new. I, I purposely, and I bet there's a whole bunch of people in the room that do this, I memorize certain scriptures that declare to me who God is and who I am because I often forget. (laughs) And I'll be headed towards a meeting, and the moment I feel insecurity, the moment I feel fear, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rewrite the narrative. I'm going to quote the scripture, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I'm going to establish a reality that's based on what God says, not based on what the giants in the fear say. Quit listening to the story that fear is telling you. It's wrong. Here's the fourth and final thing. The power of fear is broken when I grasp my true identity. Okay? When I grasp my true identity. There are a few things here that David could have believed about himself. But what I believe about myself and what I believe about God will determine my level of freedom from fear. Two things: what I believe about myself, what I believe about God, will determine my level of freedom from fear. So here, here's the options that David had. First, you got to remember that he's showing up to a war with a couple of picnic baskets, right? I mean, the poor guy. This is just not how you want to go to your first war. Dad said to bring uh, roasted barley and ten cheeses and ten loaves of bread to to my brothers. And so, can you imagine him? Mean, he just would feel goofy. Maybe it's not a picnic basket. Maybe it's a sack. But anyway, you're not bringing a sword. You're not bringing a shield. You're like, hey, guys, I'm a food truck. <laughs> and here I am. And dad wants to know how you're doing. The minute that David hears Goliath's voice, he has to decide, am I just the cheese delivery boy? Or is there another story to my life? Because when he hears Goliath, he has every right to say, you guys, you shouldn't let him talk to you that way. And they say, well, you do something about it. He's like, no, 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 I just have cheese. I can't throw the cheese at him. I know that's not going to work. You know, you guys are the soldiers. I'm the cheese deliverer. Let's understand our rules. David says, you know what? I am refusing to be identified by my job. This isn't me. I, I know I'm more than this. I, I'll do what my dad says. I'll deliver cheese. I'll deliver bread. I'll deliver barley. But you know what? That's not my identity. Some of us, our careers have so defined us and has done great damage. So David also has to deal with this in his identity. He's the youngest and apparently the weakest of his eight sons. Nobody even thought of sending him to the battlefront. Like, no, David. We'll keep it home with the sheep, right? They'd, you don't want to take your heart to the battlefield. Awkward. Everybody else is sharpening their swords, and you're like, ring, ring, ding ding Right? <laughs> is, it, is that who he's going to be? Here's maybe the biggest attack. He shows up, and he starts asking questions. And his big brother turns to him in front of all the soldiers and says this. What are you even doing here? Who'd you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? Your job's insignificant. Our dad doesn't even trust you with anything. And then he looks at him and he says, and I know your heart, David. You're wicked and you're conceited. That is is a powerful statement to come from a bigger brother to a little brother who's formative. He says, you, you are wicked and you are conceited. Now, how many of us have had someone who is supposed to be an authority over us? A parent, a big brother, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, and they have spoken something about your identity that is an absolute lie. You're wicked. You will never measure up. You're conceited. You'll never stop doing that. You'll never straighten up your act. You'll never amount to anything. And here's what so many of us do. You're right. There's been something spoken over your life. It was an outright lie. And you took it. Never let someone else define who you are. They're speaking out of their own insecurity. They're speaking out of their own fear. Why is David's big brother saying this? Because he knows he's a coward. But he lashes out at his little brother. If your family of origin, if someone in authority has defined you in an unhealthy way, step away from that. That's not who you are. David also has to deal with this whole sense of identity. Will he be a pseudo king? Right? A pseudo king. Because Saul's like, well, no one else will fight. We'll send out David with his manicured nails. And uh, so he goes, the least I can do is put armor on you. So the king's armor. I mean, this is probably the finest engineered armor in the land. He's looking sharp. And we know that Saul, Saul was a very large man. Said that he was a whole head taller than everybody else. So Saul's a big man. David's not a big man. So can you just imagine, David, he has to decide, okay, will I be a wannabe king? And he's got this armor on. It's too heavy for him. (sighs) He says, no, you know what? I'm not wicked and conceited like my brother said. I'm not just a cheese delivery boy. And you know what? I'm not a king either. Sorry, Saul. Here's what David bases his identity on. He says, I'm a shepherd boy who serves a really big God. That's it. I'm a shepherd and I know I've got a God who's been consistent in the past and all i'm really good at is picking up stones i'm gonna take 5 cuz you know you know that fear always has friends you get rid of one and there's always something else and also by the way goliath had four brothers i'll get these 5 stones and i'm just going to be comfortable with who i am and who i am is just a servant of god almighty I don't think I need to have the latest engineering. I've got God on my side. Probably my favorite verse. It says, and then David ran towards the giant. See, everyone cowers. Everyone hides from giants. That's what I do. When I'm afraid, I draw back. I think the way you slay fear is you run at it. You acknowledge it. You say, I'm afraid. You call it out. I want to read verse 47 one more time. Chapter 17, verse 47. This is what David says. He announces, he says it right to Goliath. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. I want, I want you to put in whatever you would hear. It, it's not by intelligence, it's not by hard work. It's not by my effort. It's not by my talent. Listen, you don't bring anything to the battle with fear. He says, it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Who saves? Did David save? Did David kill Goliath? No, David says, listen, the Lord did this. But I ran at the giant because I know who I have on my side. And he will give all of you into our hands. The battle, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lord's, it's the Lord's. Whatever fear exists in our lives, it doesn't have to be there forever. There's a God who slays the giant of fear.